We want to remind everyone we have social media exclusive content like our two-minute drill as well as other video content. To find that, please make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok for more. And we are kicking off episode number three here on the Let's Be Frank video podcast. I am Jason Dewey, and I will be shortly joined by head coach Frank Monaco. But tonight's episode, we're going to have LHSAA Week 2 recaps, Week 3 previews. We're going to go ahead and talk some about some local college football games. Tulane in their big matchup against Ole Miss and LSU, having just beaten Grambling. Saints talk. We'll also have special guest, national recruiting analyst Sam Spiegelman. And in the Let's Be Frank segment, we'll have Coach talking about the importance of offensive linemen. But, but before we do, we want to go ahead and thank our sponsor, Accardo and Dufresne Law Firm, your go-to River Parish lawyers for being the title sponsor of the Let's Be Frank podcast. Go ahead and bring on Coach. Coach, uh, another episode, another week. I know you coach both baseball and football at the <laughs> high school ranks. Why is football different in terms of preparation and the way you have to get ready for the season and the grind that is football season as opposed to baseball? Uh, you know, it's a, it's a great question, Jason. The, the football just requires so much film study um, because, you know, every play, the defense is in something different and, and they try to stop you. It's a cat and mouse type of scenario. Uh, you have to look at personnel and the matchups and things of that nature. So in football, you never really feel like you're prepared, whereas baseball it's only one way to, to feel the ground ball correctly. Uh, you teach them how to hit and how to pitch, and you do the situation, and, and it's repetitive things. You keep going over. They all are, but uh, football is just totally, totally different because of the, the, all the things that involve the special teams, uh, playing offense, playing defense, and whether you're platoons, there's a lot more to the, to the program, and the intensity is just totally different too because it is a contact sport. So that kind of separates the, the two sports right there. But football, I mean, baseball is very, very cerebral. It's a, it's kind of laid back because, you know, in between pitches and stuff like that, whereas football is very, very intense. And uh, because of the, the fact that it is a contact sport, uh, that, that makes it makes it totally different. The, the term you always use, coaches, is not a contact sport. It's a collision sport. And I've always yeah. loved that. I've used yeah. that a bunch because mm-hmm. that's one of your phrases that has always stuck with me. Uh, yeah, they always say that uh, dancing is a contact sport. <laughs> right, that's the that's, that's yeah. follow-up line, Coach. I want to go into that one if you didn't. But let's go ahead and take a look at some week one, two recaps from the LHSA season. In our first matchup, we had Carr defeating Scotlandville 45 to nothing. Tough second week for Scotlandville, but Carr is just a well-oiled machine. No, no question. I think that Scotlandville was out, man, and, and Carr's got so many people on the field you know, that, that can play. So, you know, I – I look for them to be in the state finals, regardless of what happens with this with this uh, uh, injunction or not. And in our next matchup, we had Newman taking on Riverside. Newman won thirty three to seven in that matchup. We knew the talent that Newman had, and being a little bit bigger of a school that might play into it. Riverside had a rough go. We'll see what happens moving forward. But both still very good football teams. Yeah, you know, I think the Riverside does not have the numbers that Newman had, and there's a big difference between two A and one A. Uh, Coach Roussel does the best he can with that. But Newman looks like they have a pretty good football team this year, too. Uh, even though after the main kid, it looks like they they can run the football and they're very well balanced. So look for them to look for them to, to make a make some noise in in, in two way. In our next game, St. Charles defeated Lutcher 16 to 14. Yet another game that came down to the wire between these two teams. Both won the state title a year ago, and it took a field goal as time expired to win this one for the Comets. A uh, heck of an offensive drive on the, on the last drive. It could, the ball could could have gone either way right there. Uh, Lutch was the 
but actually it completed a couple of long, long passes. But uh, Rivers, uh, again, uh, St. Charles is very, very resilient and they held their own and, and, and they overcame a bunch of penalties to get there. And, and the little, they had a little sophomore soccer kicker that came in there. He actually had missed the PAT earlier in the game and came back and he just drove that field goal like it was no, no, no issue whatsoever. And a big, big win on the road. In our next matchup, we had Ruston defeating Jesuit 35-7. to We knew it would be a tough one for Jesuit with that big physical Ruston team. Proved to be a bit much this week. Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, uh, Jesuit's still a very, very young football team. They're playing a couple of ninth graders, a number of sophomores, very young, and Ruston just outmanned them. And uh, they lost a tough opener themselves. So I think they came down here with a little revenge in mind. And, and uh, I think they're a team to contend with, you know, because they were a team that made it all the way last year. And uh, didn't win it, but but look for them to be there again. Destrahan knocked off John Errett 24 to 7 in their matchup. We know the depth that Destrahan has, and they just continue to build and roll that snowball down the hill on their attempt to win a second state title in a row. Yeah, I, I think John Errett came came there as a big underdog and and it proved out that way. Uh Destrahan is just you know, right now they're just too much that program is too far along. Uh, for John Aaron until they get their swagger back like they used to do in the old days. In our next matchup, we had Brother Martin taking on St. Paul's. Brother Martin won 23-10 to 10 in that game. Brother Martin, we talked uh, on the phone, Coach, coming off that state title loss against John Curtis, trying to move forward with this positive energy that they have after having a 5-5 five and five regular season but having won those four straight games to get to a state title last year. Right, they're just a well-coached football team, and and St. Paul's is too. That was a good battle there, and and uh, uh, St. Paul's is very good on defense. So, uh, so I think Brother Morton's quarterback is, is, you know, he's been there before, so he's got experience, and he makes them go. So look for them to contend in the Catholic League again. Warren Easton knocked off Catholic in what was a shocking score, forty-nine to twenty-six. We know the athleticism both these teams have. Warren Easton not able to make it to the playoffs this season, but. A very impressive showing from a very athletic group of young men. I don't even know if the game was that close. Uh, it looks like Warren Easton was, was really, really, I mean, they were rolling. I mean, uh, Catholic didn't stop them. And, you know, Catholic just had so many players. Uh, that, that was a big surprise. Not that the fact that Warren Easton won, but the, 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 the separation between the two teams. Because that game was not really, really a competitive game. In the next matchup, we had Rummel taking on U-High and the Raiders won 20-17. to a tight matchup yet again, similar to a year ago, and this time Rumble was able to pull off the win a second straight time. You hide his quarterback that's an LSU guy, and he's really got a fine arm, and and uh, they're going to win a lot of football games. They were, they were ranked number, number one in, in 3A, uh, so I think that, that that was a big win for Rumble, especially coming down from 10, uh, 10 down and with his, the two quarterbacks that they have, and I think, uh, you know, um, it, it was a swing pass that actually went 60 yards for a touchdown at the end, but that's a huge, huge win for Rummel and, um, and, and, and Coach uh, Nick Monica. In our last recap, we have Holy Cross taking on De La Salle. Holy Cross won 49-27, to getting revenge after the last season's defeat. Holy Cross seems to be a team on a mission with 18 returning starters and a lot of talent. No question. I think, uh, you know, they're, they're really – they got a lot more talent than De La Salle put on the field, but De La Salle fought, and I knew Coach Graham probably had in position, but I don't think they had the horses that Holy Cross has, and they have a lot of big play guys, and they might have four receivers that can play for anybody, so um, they're going to be hard to contend with uh, if they can stay healthy. 
Absolutely, and we're going to go ahead and move on to our preview section. Coach, a lot of big games in week three. We start out with Newman and Benton. Last year, it came down to the wire. Newman had to make a comeback, a 54-52 to 52 type game. Benton comes in 1-1, one and one, Newman 2-0, and oh, and uh, a lot of talent on both sides of the field. Yeah, you know, Coach uh, uh, Stewart and Coach Reynolds uh, uh, more are very, very good friends, and that's that's how this this all thing created at the Manning camp because they're real good buddies, and they set up this game. And but the, but both of them do an excellent job, and Newman has to go on the road. This is a Thursday night game, a little bit different venue because that's hard. Sometimes you sometimes you lose a day of practice when you play if you're not allowed to play on Sunday. So that uh, that could be a real, real good matchup again. And uh, expect it, you know, um, a lot of talent in that secondary for Newman, new quarterback for. This Benton team, we'll see how that plays out. In our next matchup, we have Brother Martin taking on St. Thomas Moore. Last year, it was Brother, it was St. Thomas Moore winning 30 to 16. Of course, they ended up winning a state title. Talented quarterback, young man named Sam Altman, passed for 33 touchdowns just a year ago. Another talented running back. And Brother Martin has to step up defensively if they're going to have a chance in this game. Well, I think the key here is not only the, the defense, the, the key is their offense must keep St. Thomas more off the field the best they can because they can score. Uh, so you're going to have to score with them. Uh, you might have to get some some breaks in this ball game because St. Thomas more, they run a fast-paced offense, and they, they like to put up the points no matter what. And they're not going to stop scoring. If, they, if it's 50-60, they're not going to stop scoring. So Brother Morton has to, has to slow down them by slowing down their own offense a little bit and just kind of get three or four yards and move those chains and keep their offense off the field. Coach, that's kind of how you made your living in high school was to keep defenses on the field. How much does that play into, especially the high school game, with the 12-minute clock in particular? That's a, that's a great question, Jason. You know, it's important that if you have a good defense, and my philosophy was just always build your defense first, and you can find ways to move the football. But other than your quarterback, you know, we took the best players and put them on defense because if you can't stop anybody, you have no chance of winning games. You can't depend on outscoring people. Some people do that. Some people do that because it looks sexy to score a bunch of points. But the bottom line is who scores the most points at the end of the game, what's on the scoreboard. So I think you build your defense first. And then all of a sudden you play to your defense. Like sometimes you might not go for it. You punt it on fourth down. Play your defense, then play the field position position. Some of the best games that, that we've won, you know, we ran only maybe 50 snaps. and then and But you won big because you played on a short field with great defense and great special teams. So I think that was that was always my philosophy, just to make sure you can stop somebody first. Because, I mean, if you can't stop anybody, it, every play call must be a perfect call, and that doesn't happen. Thanks, Coach. And looking at our next matchup, we have Destran taking on East Ascension. It was Destran winning 42-2 to a year ago. East Ascension comes in 0-2, but they played two very good football teams. They lost to West Monroe, 34-20. to Nothing to, to hang your head at with a team like that. But Destran has so much talent. Uh, I, I, and I, it seems like a lot to overcome. I, I agree. If if EA can come up with some kind of offense, this is this could be an upset if they come up with some kind of offense. Uh, from what I understand, they got the biggest football team in the state. They're huge. They're big. They, I know they're physical. They're strong. But they, they just haven't been able to get much offense going. Now, again, uh, the, the competition they've played has been, been really, really good, some of the best in the state. Uh, but listen, don't be surprised now if they give Destrian everything they want to. 
Absolutely. A tight, another could be another tight matchup for East Ascension. We know how they are, as you mentioned, a big physical ball club, and they could make some noise in that ball game. In our, yeah. next, in our next matchup, we have Carr taking on Warren Easton. Two extremely talented ball clubs. Last year was a lopsided affair, and Carr won 67-20 to 20 in that matchup. But we know the ability that both teams have in this ball game. Warren Easton has a very talented group of running backs, 350 yards on the ground last week. And if that is the case – playing on the field the entire game if your car is going to be rough to be able to come back offensively and and rev up those juices after sitting cold on the sideline i think you know warren east is going to play with a chip on their shoulder because they have no playoffs to play for so i think that they're going to say hey i'm putting everything in this this ball game right here because this is it you know we can be declare ourselves the city champion state champion whatever we want to after this ball game uh i don't know what the over and under for this game would be but it should be a really exciting game they'll have a lot of athletes on the field I mean, in that game, all cheerleaders can run 4-4. So you're going to see a lot of lot of speed on that field. Coach, we, we like to do our betting segment at the end of the show, but if there is somebody making high school lines, take the over. <laughs> Make sure to take the over in this matchup. In our next game, we have Holy Cross taking on Chalmette. Holy Cross won 51-13. I said it so many times. 18 starters returning for Holy Cross. A plethora of talent on the field. You have Cross Johnson, Kobe Young, and Derek Johnson on the perimeter. Coach, it's going to be tough for Chalmette to come into this ball game and and slow down this attack offensively of Holy Cross. Uh, Chalmette batted down the last this effort by Lakeshore last week in, in the end zone. They were excited about that win, and uh, I, and and they should be. They're two and zero, um, and and they're playing as, as hard as they possibly can. But uh, this is old traditional rivalry because Holy Cross used to be located right down the street from Chalmette, uh, up the street rather. So this could be a you know it it's going to be close for a little while. But I agree with you, Holy Cross just has too much talent on the field and the speed that they will possess that Chalmette does not have. To Chalmette's credit, they do return eleven guys who started in some capacity last year on defense. But in a matchup like this, we know the athletes that. Holy Cross has on the perimeter when you were coaching at St. Charles or anywhere else at your laundry list of places that you've been, how do you game plan for a team that is so dominant, so physical on the perimeter and out athletes you to this extent? Well, you know, one thing you have to do, first of all, is that, you know, you, you don't try to give up the big play. And I mean, you know, just make them grind it out. Maybe they might make a mistake. Maybe they might have a penalty or something like that. But I think, you know, the bend but don't break attitude is very, very prevalent in, in any defense, you know. Just don't give up that big play because they count. Big plays, well, you say, I hear coaches say this all the time, we only gave up two big plays, but they count. You know, the, so don't give up Don't give up those big plays. Even if you have to give up a little bit, make them grind it out. Uh, if, if you take a lot of chances, I mean, you can stone what we call sell the form and sell out and blitz a lot. But then all of a sudden, uh, you, you know, the old adage, you live by the sword, die by the sword. That's true. Because all it takes if you if you blitz them out is, is split one gap and you're gone and there's nobody to catch them. So I always believe that the bend but don't break. Just be sound. And at the end of the in the fourth quarter, be close by the fourth quarter to give yourself a chance to win the game. Only two big plays, like you mentioned, but if only we had mulligans in football. You know, yeah. so not, it's not the game of golf, right? So, Amen. Uh, Jesuit taking on Lafayette Christian. Last year it was a shockingly tight ball game. Lafayette Christian only won by three points. It was a 28-25 to 25 ball game. 
Juwan Johnson is so talented in this defense for Lafayette Christian is big, physical, and hard-nosed. This young Jesuit team is going to have to find a way to keep their offense on the field, make this game as short as possible, and they're going to have to play some solid defense. Yeah, LCAs, they're, they're averaging 50-something points a game. I mean, they're lighting up their scoreboard, and that's, that's the way they like to play. But the only chance that Jesuit has is that Coach Manali knows this. He's really good at, at controlling the line of scrimmage. He's running the football right at him, and he's really good about putting an extra lineman in the backfield and running, running counters and, and things like that, uh, lead plays. And um, but just and that's what he has to do. Three or four yards a shot, move the chain, maybe even take a couple shots on fourth down, uh, because he's got to keep them off the field. And and that's got to be his game plan. Because if he tries to run with them and and play their type of game and fast paced offense, uh, it's going to be a long, long night for him. So uh, I look for him to judge to really slow this game down, snap the ball with about five seconds, maybe three seconds left on the clock. And they really shrink it and give them a limited amount of possessions. That's huge. Most high school games are about 12, 12 possessions, 10 to 12 possessions. He needs to shrink that to about eight. Coach, there's a lot of youth on that ball club for Jesuit. The Blue Jays have a lot, a lot of experience on both sides. And on top of that, they're taking that long road trip down to Lafayette. Have you ever had a similar situation where you've had an extremely young ball club on that long road trip and What's the main thing you have to worry about when taking that kind of approach to this type of game? Well, you know, it's like everything coaches say. Every game has a different mentality and every, uh, different intensity every game. But once your culture is developed, the kids fall in the line and they understand that. They know where they're supposed to be at a certain time. They know on a bus trip that, okay, you're not going to have cell phones. Uh, we're going to watch some, some tape and, and uh, we're going to occupy your time. Uh, we might stop and stretch our legs at a, a rest area or something like that. Meanwhile, we're going to have a little little football meet just to keep football in front of them. And uh, so the coach will break up and stuff like that. But it, it will be regimented. It's not just that, well, I'm going to get on the bus, I'm going to eat potato chips all, all the way over there, and, and we're going to listen to music and that whole deal. It's going to be very, very concentrated, very intense, and I think with a, with a great focus. But you don't change that, whether it's, a, whether it's you're playing the number one team in the state or you're playing the last team in the state. Um, no matter what, they have no wins. You don't change that culture and, uh, and, and your, 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 game, your game day procedure. Rommel travels to show on what we know to be a big rivalry matchup. Rommel has bested them quite a bit recently, but we've seen the amount of change in that Shaw program since Coach Tyranny has been there. Uh, what do you expect in this ballgame? Well, I, I, they're a totally different team than they were last year. They're more mature. They're big. Uh, they have some playmakers now. And um, on, on the offense, he had a great running back. The quarterback is really, really tough, a really, really thick kid. Uh, they're able to throw the ball. They have a, a transfer that came in from, from Jeff, a big, tall kid, wide receiver. So they have some playmakers. And, and on defense, they're, they're not really small. Uh, on the flip side of it, Rumble's you know, Rumble looking at this game after the big win last week. They're trying to get some momentum created. with the, and They have to put some pieces together because they've had a series of injuries already. And like look like they've lost three guys for the year already. So yes, put some of those guys together and make some of those ninth graders grow up uh, on the road. So this could and Shaw's been looking for this game for a long, long time. So this this could be quite a war. In our next matchup, Saint Aug takes on Zachary. They're going to head down to Baton Rouge. Zachary, new quarterback, a few new pieces. Didn't love how they came out in Week One. Of course, they had that bye week in Week Two. Probably could have used that game before playing this talented St. Aug team. I think a, a big piece of St. Aug is going to have to be 
a guy who our guest later, Sam Spiegelman, probably knows, Jaquim Stewart, a young physical defensive lineman for St. Aug. If you can put pressure on a new quarterback in Zachary, that might favor your ball club. Yeah. Can you ever remember a time when St. Aug didn't have players? I mean, you know, they have a number of players. Uh, Zachary was off last week. I don't know if that helps them. Um, they had a lot of time to, to concentrate on St. Aug and work and break, break down that film. But on the flip side of it, I never did like open dates. I think you lose uh, your sharpness, you lose intensity, uh, and sometimes your timing is not there. So we'll see how this shakes out, but the two of the better programs in the entire state, and there will be a lot of athletes on that field. In our last matchup, we have Turlings Catholic traveling to St. Charles Catholic. Last year it was a back-and-forth ball game. A little bit of controversy from what I've been told in that matchup. But we know that Turlings Catholic has a high-powered offense. They're a bigger school than St. Charles, which means they're going to have those numbers. But we know St. Charles is a, is a school that has 120 kids in their football program this year and has a, a solid defense. So this might be one of those immovable object meets an unstoppable force. Well, that quarterback for Turlings is back, and he's, he's very talented. You know, and I saw him last year, and that game was, was a lot, lot closer I thought that, you know, we actually got the better part of them, but they didn't show in the scoreboard. We had a couple of unfortunate things happen with, with penalties. Uh, and, but this it, is going to be a quality game. It, was, it gave St. Charles their first loss last year. And, uh, you know, St. Charles, is, they're playing well, and they have a good football team. But it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a, even a better effort this week. They have to find a way to move the ball and keep their children's offense off the, off the field because they're really, really good. They have a couple guys that are totally new on their football team. Uh, that they didn't have last year, but but they, they're certainly still talented. And I'll do it for the high school segment. We'll go ahead and move on to college football talk. In our first matchup, we had Tulane taking a tough loss to Ole Miss, 37-20. to 20. Game much closer than the score. Unfortunately, it just didn't roll the green waves way. Having Pratt out definitely impacted the game, but I thought Tulane had a very strong effort, very strong showing. Nothing to hang your head out, just – Things didn't go your way in this matchup. Well, you know, without Michael Pratt, I mean, this, this kid's probably on a lot of people's All-American list. It's, you know, somewhere on that line, he's a very accurate guy. But what they missed was his running ability. The fact that he can, and not that he's going to run a lot of option plays or things like that, but he can pull the ball down if receivers were covered and extend plays. He's very, very good at that. And it was a game-time decision. He had a knee injury, and uh, they, they went with Horton. And actually played well. And Tulane was in position with five minutes to go in the game. Uh, they had a big, big fourth down call, and then uh, he, he got out of bounds. They, they reviewed it, and Tulane thought they had made the first down. They were down by seven and a chance to tie it, and uh, it didn't happen. But at the end, they had a, a fumble, picked up a fumble to the quarterback, but that was a junk touchdown. They also almost had a 56-yard uh, field goal, but just a, just a heck of a battle. Tulane's defense is really good, and they held the running back to less than 60 yards. And that was a tr tremendous feat in itself because Ole Miss's offensive line was, was just tremendously big. And the quarterback for Ole Miss is good. So um, they're going to be a, a contender in the SEC. And, uh, you know, they got a good scheme. But but uh, I give Tulane a lot of credit. Of course, you know, I hate to say it's a moral victory because those things don't get you anything. Uh, but uh, hopefully that, that Pratt can be back. They did a lot of good things in that game. Their special teams were excellent and, uh, in, in that ball game. And it, it, with Pratt there, who knows what would have happened. They take on Southern Miss next week, a foe that they are familiar with. Lost that matchup last week, that last season, I should say. It's This felt like the outlier last season. Coming off of a loss to Ole Miss, 
you got to assume that this Tulane team isn't to come back focused regardless of what happened because yeah. of last year's matchup. And another thing, Coach Hall, the head coach over there, was the offensive coordinator for Coach Fritz two years ago. So, I mean, that's, a, that's going to add an extra incentive uh, for Tulane to play well. Uh, they still can have a good season. And, uh, you know, they still haven't started conference play yet. So this could be a big game, and, but a good test on the road after playing two at home. And uh, let's just hope that Pratt is healthy enough to play in this game. Yeah, and hopefully moving forward, he'll be able to go because we know how much he adds to that offense for Tulane, especially after an impressive week one win that they had over USA. LSU will take on Mississippi State this upcoming week. They beat Grambling 72-10, to but a lot of the story was the lack of defense in that first half, a lot of running between the tackles, and, of course, depth weight on. I think LSU is going to have – a lot of fans have this – air about them that we've beaten them so many times over the past 30 years that this is a cakewalk i think this is a very tricky game for lsu your defense hasn't proven their validity your offense can put up points but you can't rely on that when you have those annoying cowbells ringing in your ear every single play when you're playing at starfield i agree i agree totally because this this got all the the markings of a trap game because uh, you know i think the first sec game is always real competitive no matter who's playing. I think they get ready for that. They're saying this is the SEC. And uh, the way it looks, they're not going to play next year. And so this rivalry is going to be something. It's a smaller stadium, and, uh, and it's but a very, very compact stadium, uh, as you talked about. And more importantly, LSU defense, I don't know if they can stop the Grambling Marching Band. I mean, I was I was disappointed the way they, they ran up the field in the first, in the first quarter. Uh, and this is a program that has 63 scholarships. Compared compared to your, your 85 plus all your walk-ons, you know, so I was a little surprised at that, but I agree with you. Uh, Daniels, you know, he, he's he's a force, and as I said before, I really like to see them play fast. I think they're a lot better football team when they play fast. Unfortunately, it makes that defense stay on the field more. Absolutely, something to keep an eye out on. And in our next segment, we'll be talking some New Orleans Saints. Coach, they pulled off the win, a tight win at that 16-15 to 15 over the Titans. But in the NFL, every win comes at a premium. I thought they passed the ball well at moments, especially down the stretch when it mattered. I thought the team looked good other than a, a fumble on the opening kickoff. I'd like to pull your hair out as a Saints fan if you're watching that. But for the most part, I thought it was a great team effort. And you can't put a price on a, a win in the NFL. Oh, yeah, you're exactly right. You cherish a win in the NFL. They're all getting paid. I mean, whenever you beat anybody, it doesn't matter who's across their chest. That's that's big. I was very, very impressed with one. Uh, Alave is a receiver. is excellent. Shahid, uh, he's an excellent receiver. Michael Thomas caught some big balls in the middle. I love Carr's delivery. It's very, very smooth. Uh, he, he gets the ball out of his hand. He looks like he's an intense player and the leader in the huddle. Uh, and their defense, what more can you say about their defense? Their secondary, with the three picks or something, but – their secondary were all over their their guys, and I mean, you're going to get calls, you're going to get some interference calls because uh, everybody's coverage is tight. You know what I mean? And you can call that whenever you want to. It's just so it's, it's the discretion of the, the the officials itself on how tight they want to call a game. But I was very very pleased with their, their persistence. I thought Coach uh, Carmichael called an excellent game, mixing and matching the things, and they're doing it without Camara, and that, that's a that's a big part of the game. And and, and without the first round draft choices running back. So um, when they get those guys back, I think they would even be better on offense. 
And without those guys against last year's number one rush defense. So quite an impressive deal from the Saints. Next week, they take on the Carolina Panthers. Panthers took a loss in week one. Inexperienced quarterback. Your defense has to be ready to be aggressive and attack in this matchup. Yeah, yeah, they do. You got to watch that though, you know, because it, it's always a tough game. Carolina, you know, is going to get the Heisman Trophy winner at quarterback, and I know he wants to. He wants to show what he can do, and and he can scramble, and that's the thing that you know you got to watch that. It, when you get a scrambling quarterback, your coverage has changed because you can't play what they call two man. You can't play a lot of just pure man all the all the time because somebody has to watch him because he's can scramble and really hurt you and extend plays. So, um, but it's it should be a lot of fun, and it, and you would love to see him go two and zero. But to win on the road in the NFL is awfully hard. Absolutely, no doubt, and that'll do it for our first segment. When we come back from the break, we'll have special guest Sam Spiegelman from On3 Nation Recruiting Analyst. But before we go to break, we want to go ahead and thank Accardo and Dufresne Law Firms, Samuel Accardo Jr. and Henri P. Dufresne, your go-to River Parish lawyers. The River Parishes is our home, and serving our communities is our passion. We'll be right back. Samuel Licardo Jr. and Henri P. Dufresne, your go-to River Parish lawyers. Experience, tenacity, and results. Sammy Accardo and Henri Dufresne provide comprehensive legal services in personal injury, hurricane claims, business litigation, successions, and estate planning. Our trial experience, know-how, and commitment to protect and serve our clients is unparalleled. We provide complete real estate, title, and escrow services through our affiliate, State Title LLC. The River Parishes is our home, and serving our communities is our passion. Based out of Gramercy, Louisiana, LSR produces Southern Cane Pure Cane Sugar, which is only grown, refined, and packaged in Louisiana. LSR utilizes the latest innovations in technology, as well as ensuring the growth and stability of Louisiana sugarcane farmers by integrating more than 800 growers in the industry's economic structure. Southern Cane is available in your local associated grocers and Rouse's supermarkets. Since 1972, Riverlands Insurance Services has been dedicated to securing the best insurance products and services available to protect you, your family, your assets, and your business. Our goal has been to establish a strong relationship and partnership between you, the insurance company, and our agency, creating a circle of success that prepares for disasters before they actually happen. In our second segment, we have a special guest on three national recruiting analyst, Sam Spiegelman. Sam, thank you so much for joining us once again after last season. And I just had a question about how difficult is it to look at the amount of athletes and talent in the high school level and evaluate to build these relationships? Because college is so easy. All these games are on television, but high school is a completely different ball game. You have huddle, but how difficult is it to build these relationships and to find these players? 
Yeah, I think a uh, coach can tell you when you when you're on the recruiting side of things, it's, you know, you can you might have you might have a bunch of guys on your board early on and and each each season, each different part of the season, the recruiting calendar is is is, you know, 52 weeks out of the year. The guys can pop on the radar at any time, so, you know, the relationships are really important with coaches because they might tell you about a kid as a sophomore, but that kid might not really start, you know, finding his stride, maybe be a D1 ready college level prospect until their senior year everyone I think coach can attest to this everyone goes on their own timeline there is no right timeline there is no wrong timeline everyone goes at their own beat you might be a a college ready prospect as a sophomore or as a senior or you might be a late bloomer Um, so it's important that's why relationships are so important with kids with their families with their coaches um, high school coaches you know people that are on the staff people that are paying attention and and want to give the spotlight to kids because you just never know when when their time in the sun is going to be Sam, I, I have a question because everybody asks this, and especially being a former college coach also. And, uh, you know, when you read the paper, they said this guy's a five-star, four-star, three-star recruit, okay? Uh, how do they come about these so- so-called stars, and who makes these rankings? Yeah, um, well, at On3, we have a fantastic uh, director of, of rankings, and I've been on that side before in the past at different jobs. And, um, you know, for a five-star, four-star, three-star – if you have if you have any stars, it means that someone deems you evaluated you, whether it's in person or on tape. And they said this guy can play at the next level, whether it's FBS, FCS, Division one, two, three. They said it. Three stars is supposed to signify power five, which at this point, you know, Tulane is getting power five level guys because of the way that they recruit and evaluate talent. You know, it doesn't matter where you're going. It's saying that you are a power five grade and that you could be drafted to play in the NFL one day when you start getting into the four stars you're talking about the top you know two one two percent in the entire country the top 200 250 300 and for the five stars you're talking about the best 32 players in the country the five-star prospect at the high school level is supposed to represent someone that in you know three four five you know whenever their time is is going to be a first round pick they have the first round pedigree whether that's uh you know well, obviously, you know, senior eval is the most important part of it, but, but what you do in the camp setting, what you do in different all-star game settings, what you do, um, obviously, you know, in, during live evaluations, so it's, usually, it's usually over two or three or sometimes four-year stretch. Right. Sam, the, um, let's go, if you don't mind, who are the top, some of the top recruits in the state of Louisiana? Because um, a long time ago I was told, and I don't know if this holds up, that Louisiana is one of the top five states in the whole country that produces D1 football players. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, coach, my favorite thing about being uh, in the boot is, is that we might, we were the smallest state, right. But we have the highest per capita when it comes to producing the guys that play on, on Saturdays and really Sundays. Um, and, and one of my favorite things about being on three is they got all the, the numbers to back that, back that number up. Um, the number one player in the state for this year is over at Acadiana. I'm sure you'll see him in a couple of weeks, coach, coach, when they play Curtis. Um, but Don McKinley is a five-star defensive tackle um, for Acadiana. He plays a little bit of a three technique, a little bit as a four. He has him as a stand-up rusher sometimes, a guy that's constantly battling in the trenches, you know, taking on two and three blockers at a time, but also has that second gear to be a pass rusher. He's about six foot five and a half, almost six foot six, 275 pounds before his senior season uh this year he ran track and field i think he clocked a, a four five forty at 260 pounds he's got a tremendous wingspan he's also you know so far i've seen him a couple of times as a senior during uh spring practices and again uh for his week one performance before he committed to a and 
Um, and he certainly has all the tools that if he doesn't scratch the surface this year, in two or three years, we might be talking about a future first round pick. Hmm. Oh, wow. Coach, what about the, some of the top guys in the metro area and the river parishes that, uh, well, they don't have to be top, but, but guys that you, that you think will be recruitable? Oh, yeah. Well, I think uh, one of my favorites has been uh, right in your backyard, a Destrahan, Tut Cobbins, Collage Cobbins. The, he's kind of a hybrid linebacker, edge, defensive end for Destrahan, played a huge role really starting as a sophomore for Coach Scott in the Destrahan defense. I think he was among the leading tacklers in the state as a sophomore. Just kind of see ball, get ball. Um, last year they, they used him really as a pass rusher and obviously setting, setting the edge in the run game. But this year they have him with his hand in the dirt a little bit, rushing off the edge, kind of the same way that LSU fans love Harold Perkins. Obviously, Collage Cobbins is one of the big pieces in Brian Kelly's 2024 class. He's one of my favorite prospects, and he's already off to a great senior season. He had a great game against John Errett last week in prime time. Um, st sticking in, in, in the metro area over at Edna Carr, uh, one of my favorite defensive players is uh, linebacker Taji Butler. Um, he, he's had just a really – he was really hurt last year as a junior um, during Carr's great season. But, you know, when he was on the field, he was a, he was a great playmaker. And, Coach, as you know, as a middle linebacker, you're kind of the heart and soul of that defense. Coach Bryce Brown only has four seniors on that Carr roster. Um, Taji is one of them. He's committed to Georgia Tech. He's, um, he's really just having an outstanding season as, a, as the heart and soul of that Carr defense, which is really talented and really young. So they need a leader like Taji to lead them, and he's doing a great job so far. I can't wait to see them in a few weeks. Sam, have, have you seen the defensive end from Lutcher High School? He's a junior, and I know he's got two offers from Tulane and Vanderbilt. Have you seen him? I have not yet. Mm -hmm. He's excellent. He's a tall, rangy guy. And, again, he's a junior. I saw him play Friday night, and, and I think St. Charles had to do a lot of things just to make sure. First of all, they had to run away from him. And that, <laughs> that always helps, you know. Uh, but what about, what about the – when you acquire this all this information, Coach, in, in, in terms of that, because I used to, when I was at Tulane, I had a, a sports writer that would come in, and he would look at my recruiting list, and he would not tell anyone where he got it. I said, that's just confidential. The head coach didn't know that he was acquiring it from me because I had a lot of Louisiana schools. And uh, do you do that? Do any of the colleges subscribe to your service to find out where these recruits are? Yeah, I think um, I think rankings plays plays a, a big a bigger part than it should when it comes to to you know what college coaches think because in a lot of ways they're they're kind of you know they're playing the game with the media because they're always out for uh, representing you know their school to make you know whatever their university looks like they're recruiting some of the top players in the country and a lot of times they want to fight you on evaluations they want to sometimes if they're iffy on a guy if they're if they like a guy and they want a second or third or fourth opinion. It's really just, you know, getting all your ducks in a row when it comes to getting an evaluation coach because it's so subjective. There are some things that we can look at and say, you know, your mom or dad played sports in, in high school, college, in the professional ranks. You know, you could play three, four, five, you know, varsity sports uh, and, and be really great at that. You could run this time and, and jump this high. But, you know, sometimes you're still just a little bit iffy on some people. Some And like we said at the top, some people just kind of it all comes together at different points. So. You know, I think college coaches, they love rankings to affirm what they've maybe seen on tape, maybe with something that they've seen in a camp or an in-game setting. And then they sometimes the rankings either justify that or just hearing it from someone like me who's at a lot of games or on the sidelines a good chunk of my life, I guess, um, you know, just to get another opinion of, of someone, just to, to feel even better about it. I, I agree with you, Sam, you know, because recruiting is not exact science. And um, that's why coaches now are really trying hard 
and I know two, three staff, they will not sign the kid unless he goes to their camp. So he can, they can actually test him and, and work him out and see what kind of feet he has and what kind of attitude he has and the, the character and things like that because it's not exact science. You know, the NFL has no restrictions on how many visits a kid has or stuff like that. And NCAA, you only get one official visit, the whole deal. And the NFL still makes mistakes, you know, because sometimes you, you recruit a guy and he can't play dead, you know. But uh, sometimes you look at this guy, he's, he might be maybe a, a three-star uh, guy, but he ends up being one of your better players. Uh, do you see that often? All the time. Like I said, everyone everyone peaks at different times. And sometimes you're, sometimes you're waiting for opportunity. They're all... There's so many different parts of the puzzle each time. You know, you could have someone that maybe only, you know, had to sit behind two or three great players in front of them, only has senior tape. So, you know, you might, you know, when we're talking about four and five star players, which, you know, are not to say anything is wrong with the evaluation process, but we might have been able to see them, you know, 10 or 12 times before they graduated. There are some kids that maybe had to wait for their opportunity, didn't get to play until their senior year. And while it might be great that they got recruited, and that's really what the important thing is at the end of the day, we know that people do care about rankings. They care about where they finish in that regard. And sometimes, you know, maybe only seeing them once or twice, you know, you're, you're, you're a little bit hesitant. It's the same way that college coaches are. They might want a third or fourth opinion. And as us on this side, if you're giving evaluations or you want to give a, an endorsement on a player, you might want to see them a few extra times to feel a little more confident in what you're going to say about them. And I think the same goes for three stars, four stars. You know, it, again, it's a positive grade. It's, you know, it's you're about sorting between a, maybe an 89 grade and a 90 or a 79 and an 80. At the end of the day, it says you can play at the next level. And that's really what the bottom line is. You know, a lot of guys now, Sam, are, are, you know, I've been through the whole thing. We had this long evaluation sheet. You had to put everything down that the kid did and stuff like that. And But a lot of people go to this highlight tape. And I never did like that procedure, but the highlight tape can get you interest. But I've never, I tell coaches all the time, I've never seen a bad highlight tape. You know, <laughs> when they show the NFL draft, they're always showing the guy that's best and, and stuff like that. But, uh, but you know, they don't show the whole game when he was when he might have been stoned or something like that. You know, highlight tape, a lot of guys are doing that nowadays, and they think that's the answer, and they see one highlight tape. What you can't tell on highlight tape is the quality of competition. I mean, there's a kid that, that I know of that's getting a lot of recognition in, in New Orleans as a running back. Well, his competition is is not very good. So he's going to look great on tape, and he's going to look like maybe a five-star recruit uh, un unless he goes to somebody's camp and they really have tested that guy. Do you see that? A hundred percent, Coach. Um, you know, I think there's, there's so much to gain from a live evaluation. I think um, that's probably what I've learned the most over the years is, um, you know, if, if someone is, is highly ranked, uh, you should go to their game and you should walk away saying, I know who that player is. You shouldn't have to figure it out. You don't even have to check the jersey on the roster. You should already know who it is if you're watching blindly. And a lot of times I don't look at the roster until uh, maybe when I get home and I'm watching the tape and I, I'm, I'm lining up names because you want to get an objective view of the game. But um, going to a live evaluation, I don't care what position it is. I think well, obviously quarterback first and foremost, you want to see what they do every single play. You want to see how they act in the huddle. You want to see how they, their demeanor is on the sidelines, how they interact with their coaches and teammates. But there's so many positions um, where that's, that, that remains the same. Um, you want to see what these, these players are like and all these adverse and, and, and non-adverse situations. Coach, you've been in so many different situations on the sidelines you know, you, you might think that the most talented player might also be your leader, but many times that's not the case. And I think if you're a, a college coach, more so than the evaluation side, you want to know that if you're recruiting a player, you want to know every part of their character, every part of their demeanor, um, and that's in good times and also bad. 
Exactly, Coach. You know, and and because uh, you never can tell about a kid. I, I always liked them personally to see a kid either play a game or go to practice. I thought that was huge to see a game in that environment, watch his practice habits. He was lazy. You could tell by his body language whether he was a leader or whether the kid was lazy because, you know, college football is rough. And as I tell all, all kids, once you sign that scholarship, they actually own you. So, I mean, if they tell you to be at a study hall, if they tell you to be at practice at a certain time, weightlifting, they actually own you. And you need because they have that scholarship they hold over your head. So, uh, not, if you're pretty lazy, you're not going to make it in, in the four-year school at, at all. Um, coach, you know, switching to, to that, I mean, I, quick story. Um, we had Jake DeLomo on, in fact, last year. He was one of our guests, and, and he played at a small school. And it was hard to convince my head coach at the time that this guy could be a pretty good player. Well, he ended up, you know, playing the <laughs> Super Bowl one, one year. But, I mean, I was, but, but I, also, I also recruited some guys that, you know, they couldn't play dead either. You know, so you, you never know about that. But, um, but Coach, what about the – I know that they got a couple guys at River Parish. I saw the guy from Shaw, defensive end that Tulane has. I don't know his name. Uh, he, he looks like he's, he's got good potential because he's tall and rangy. And he's a senior. And uh, but I don't see D one yet in that in that kid. Uh, uh, Saint Charles Catholic has a linebacker. He, he's about six one guy that can that can really run uh, by the name of Kyle Cannon. I, I can see him playing college ball somewhere. I don't know if he's D one because they're all looking for guys that you know uh, that, that that can uh, leave tall buildings. I don't know if he can do that, but he's a heck of a football player. Anybody else in, in the River Parish that um, that we should look at? Um, off the top of my head, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of young guys over at that Destraham program. I, I hate to keep ringing the bell for them, but they are, they are locked and loaded for, for the next couple of years, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Um, they got a, a young sophomore receiver by the name of Jabari Mack, who I think is going to be one of those top 100, top 200 players in the country. Right. Um, coach, I don't know. I'm sure you do remember, uh, Johnny Thiel from his days at Curtis and East St. John and, and his son is playing wide receiver for Destrehan. Um, and they also got one of the fastest players in the state, Philip Wright. Um, you know, I think he's, uh, he's one of those all Americans on the track and field and one of those potential Olympic sprinters, um, down the road. And they got, that, so they really restocked at the receiving core. So I know that there's a couple of guys over at uh, at Wildcat Stadium over to keep an eye on. Right. How about coach? How about how about Curtis? Um, I understand they have a few players that can that know a little bit about football. Oh, oh boy. Well, I know that uh, they're they're do it all athlete. We saw them in the state championship in in December. I don't know how many players you can remember who caught a touchdown and had an interception in a state championship game in the way that. Curtis uh, beat Brother Martin emphatically in that that last game of December. Um, Michael Turner uh, got a, his his recruitment took off pretty rapidly. It was funny talking to him after the game. He said, "You know, Tulane has been talking to me a little bit, Texas Tech." And then after that title game, you know, you kind of trust the process, and his recruitment took off. One, of, I think he is the fastest player in the state for this year, and he's committed to LSU. And and now on the offensive side of the ball, we know what Curtis does on offense. Um, I'm excited to see them in a couple of weeks, but they're running back. Um, uh, Jason Gabriel Jr., another speedy, speedy guy in that split back beer offense. Um, he's he's going to really, you know, I think Curtis is going to have another great year and compete for the Catholic League championship, and that's going to be a big reason why having so much speed in multiple positions this year. Right, and, and you know this, and I think uh, I think you're right. I think that I saw him play that that game, and that game wasn't even close in the Superdome, and um, the, the matchup there. I mean, Coach Bonish did a phenomenal job just to get his team that far. Uh, but it also has a little bit advantage of the of the draw in the bracket, something like that. But coach, listen, 
Um, we really appreciate this. You're so knowledgeable about what you're doing in your craft, and I think that's a it's an excellent venue uh, that you that you're doing, and people can go to you because uh, that that recruiting process is for coaches. It's not exact science, and I, I do know what you're going through with that. But um, uh, I don't know if they still have it. It's called collegiate sports data, and that was a that was something that we had to, every year that we applied to, and we actually it was a paid service, and you used to get our information from them. Are they still around? Yeah, um, they they still they're still a part of it. Uh, they they kind of connect themselves through various camps. At my at my old stomping grounds when I was at Rivals and we did the Rivals camps, um, they they were a part of it. They they tried to record every single forty. We did a whole combine as part of our camp series, and and like you said, coaches uh, colleges across the country subscribe to that and pay for that because that's that's that essential data. Like I said, um, there's a lot of ways to tell if someone's going to be a three or four or five star prospect. A lot of it. Um, is that same thing that that some colleges won't take kids unless they camp there and they can get that data. That data and analytics is such a huge part of our game, our sport at every single level from high school, college, and the NFL to to other sports like baseball and basketball. They're all into analytics just as much. And and that that data is so telling because it'll tell not only their impact on Saturdays, but whether they're gonna it's gonna translate on Sundays. It can tell you when kids are gonna grow how fast they're going to get it. It's out of this world technology. And that's, uh, that's just a cool part of uh, the, the age and sports that we're in. Uh, you know, Sam, you, you bring up a good point too. I mean, every, now people are, are recruiting nationally and they're not just doing regional stuff and people like, like for instance, Tulane, they have to be national because the academic requirements. So they have to spread out and get more people on their recruiting board because you never know who, who can get into school and, and things like that. But uh, one thing I always found, and we used to talk about this often is that the out-of-state guys like to fly into an airport and recruit around the airport so they're not too far <laughs> from it. So they're not going to go to the bayou or something like that, that unless somebody's told them or some service that they, they subscribe to told them that's where they go. I don't know if you find that uh, to be the case, but uh, I did when I was recruiting. Yeah, I've, I've heard I've heard quite a few of those kind of stories uh, across the time. But you know what it is that that's why I can always appreciate that's That's why we live in a world with social media. I'll say this. Over, I was just on the road in uh, in Shreveport over the weekends um, and then I, I'm on my way back to New Orleans. And I had one coach, a f- coach that became a high school coach, went back to the college ranks, said, you know, he follows all these different people you never knew that he would be following. And he says, you know, because so, coach, like you said, he might be the diamond in the rough that you have to drive a little bit out of the way. But sometimes when you go into small communities, small towns, you get elite players. I mean, one of my favorite players from, from last year's class was Tackett Curtis, who signed with USC. And Manny is one of the smallest towns I've ever driven. You can drive through Manny in 10 minutes and end up in Natchitoches. Um, and, and he is one of the best players. And that's, that's the case in Louisiana. It's a big part of, of East Texas and, and different parts of uh, the Gulf Coast here. And um, just because you have to drive a little bit further into a little bit into the sticks a little bit doesn't mean that there's not good food and not good football somewhere to be found. Sam, I, I don't know if this, if this holds water, how accurate a statement this might be, but the years that I recruited, I did not recruit California, but uh, of the states that I did go into, I've been to, to Florida and Texas and Mississippi, but the state I found that the best players were in Texas. Uh, the, the only question there, did those guys peak out because they were at their best in high school, the coaching there, the facilities in Texas, the number of players that you have in Texas. I mean, it's unbelievable. So we actually thought that we can go into Texas and, and get a kid that was not actually a blue chip guy, uh, but he was ranked maybe maybe in, in your vernacular, maybe a three, and he would be a good player 
uh, for us at Tulane at the time. Uh, what's your opinion on what you think might be the, one of the better? I know Ohio ranks in there, Florida ranks in there, but what's your opinion on maybe one of the better states? No, I, I think you hit it right in the head, Coach. You know what Texas is? is just a supersized four, maybe four times the size of Louisiana when it terms in terms of what the the top level talent. And we're talking, you know, Louisiana might go toe to toe with with any state in the country in terms of you know percentage of NFL players per capita. But when you go to Texas, I mean, you have East Texas, West Texas, the the north part of the state, the south part of the state, and then obviously there's there's also Central Texas. Um, it's just so many different metroplexes inside the state. The, 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 not only are there great players within, you know, the, the giant state of Texas, but there is a quantity. Um, not only does it is a fertile for for Texas and A and M and TCU, Houston, SMU, so on and so forth. But you know, so many schools like LSU, uh, like Tulane, like USC, like Georgia, Alabama, Florida State. You know, you name it, can go into Texas, and there's enough really good players that, that they can stock up. Um, like you said, Coach, Tulane still does it. They go into Dallas and Houston all the time right. um, and get commitments from from three-star players. And, you know, sometimes there's only – like you said, there, there might there might be three stars, but there's so many. Three-star means a power five ca- caliber player that, that you can go in and get. And, and there's just so many it's, – it's, it's so rich in talent. I do think – in my time there, I am a little bit biased, but it's, it's so much great talent to choose from for so many universities. And you don't, don't know because I'm going to so, those large schools and they have a whole new senior class from last year because some of those those schools are gigantic. You go to Plano and I went to one school coach. He gave me 13 prospects, uh, when, 13 on one team. I said, uh, that was unbelievable. <laughs> no, last but not least, I will take up all your time. But uh, uh, I worked with Larry Smith at one time. And he had a pretty good formula. He always liked to go out and he said, listen, sign big safeties because they become linebackers. And he said, sign big linebackers, they become outside backers. Sign sign guys that were big linebackers and I'll put your hand on the ground. And he never did like to sign an offensive lineman. He said, I want to sign defensive lineman and then we're going we're gonna to move them over. I think that's a great philosophy. And he said, take as many tight ends as you can because they become – Offensive linemen and to become offensive linemen, uh, defensive linemen and offensive linemen. And that philosophy, it always stuck with me. And I said that was a great philosophy that he had. And naturally he's passed. But uh, I don't know if anyone else does that. I love it, Coach. I love the idea because, you know, when you play defensive tackle, the, the success is when you play low to the ground. That sounds like the right recipe for, for interior offensive linemen. And when you come to some of the best offensive tackles, especially nowadays in 2023, you know, we're t- what are we talking about? We're talking about wingspan. We're talking about length and height. You're talking about weight that you want to add to you later on. And we want to add the frame when you get to college or put you in a nutrition and strength and conditioning program. So we don't want you tipping the scales at over 300 pounds before you even get to college. I want that former tight end that might be of maybe a former basketball player who's got light, light, nimble feet, can can move laterally and backward and then kick kick slide as as well as a tight end probably would and and we want to add that weight and teach in the position because you coach you know offensive tackle offensive line is really hard i love that that formula i still think it applies um and i think it it i think also uh r- big running backs also make pretty good linebackers too yeah, amen one of the best players we've ever had at Tulane was a kid by the name of lester lavalade and he was a tailback but he was a, a phenomenal athlete the tailback but coach listen this, this is great talking to you. Um, um, the, poor, the, the Saints offensive tackle coach, poor left, 
uh, tackle for the Saints. We need to pray for him. So he, got, he, he threw, I think he threw more no hitters than Nolan Ryan. You know what I mean? So, but but Sam, but thank you so much for for coming on on the show tonight. It, it was really informative. Very good. A- thank you. Absolutely, Coach. Thanks for for having me. Happy to be here. Thank you. We want to once again thank National Recruiting Specialist Sam Spiegelman for joining us, and you can follow him on Instagram at Sam Spiegelman underscore. On Twitter, you can follow him at Sam Speeds, and you can also follow On3 at On3Recruits. We'd also like to thank LSR for sponsoring the Let's Be Frank podcast. LSR produces Southern Cane, pure cane sugar, which is only grown, refined, and packaged in Louisiana. Southern Cane is available in your local associated grocers and Ross's supermarkets. Samuel Licardo Jr. and R.A.P. Dufresne, your go-to River Parish lawyers. Experience, tenacity, and results. Sammy Licardo and R.A.P. Dufresne provide comprehensive legal services in personal injury, hurricane claims, business litigation, successions, and estate planning. Our trial experience, know-how, and commitment to protect and serve our clients is unparalleled. We provide complete real estate, title, and escrow services through our affiliate, State Title LLC. The River Parishes is our home, and serving our communities is our passion. Based out of Gramercy, Louisiana, LSR produces Southern Cane Pure Cane Sugar, which is only grown, refined, and packaged in Louisiana. LSR utilizes the latest innovations in technology, as well as ensuring the growth and stability of Louisiana sugarcane farmers by integrating more than 800 growers in the industry's economic structure. Southern Cane is available in your local associated grocers and Rouse's supermarkets. Since 1972, Riverlands Insurance Services has been dedicated to securing the best insurance products and services available to protect you, your family, your assets, and your business. Our goal has been to establish a strong relationship and partnership between you, the insurance company, and our agency, creating a circle of success that prepares for disasters before they actually happen. And we are back on Varsity Sports Now. This is the Let's Be Frank video podcast. And we'd like to thank Riverlands Insurance for being our sponsor. So we want to go ahead and bring on head coach Frank Monica in our Let's Be Frank segment. Coach, in this segment, we are going to be talking about unsung heroes, offensive line, and offensive line coaches. Oh, yes. Uh, one of my favorite topics to talk about, uh, Jason, because, you know, uh, offensive line linemen have been the favorite of, of most head coaches. They love their offensive line because they have no egos. You know, they're playing offensive line. They don't get their name called on a PA system. Uh, nobody knows who they are. They don't have fingerprints. You know what I mean? So I, I'm, they're really, really unselfish people, and they need to be talked about. Uh, you know, you're dealing with people there that probably not the least athletic people on your football team. 
and they have all the rules on, on the defense, and the defense has all the advantage. They can use their hands. They can do a lot of things where offensive linemen can't. They can't grab, and they have to use technique, and sometimes the technique and, uh, is, is, not, is not proper. Uh, you know, they must, they must have a lot of strength to stop them, but yet the, 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 the movement of their feet is really, really hard. So it's awfully difficult to be an offensive lineman. Uh, the other part of that is that they have to know their assignments. They must be very, very cerebral. They must know what they're doing because if the left tackle changes his block, the, the right tackle has to change his block also. So they all must be coordinated. Those five guys must be coordinated as one because all it takes is one guy, one mistake, and the whole offensive line gets the blame for it. And But it might be one guy. Uh, you know, but the tight end is part of that sometimes if you use one or the ace back or something like that. But those guys are one that, that they're, they're out athletes, if there's such a term, and they're not as good as an athlete. And that's why they're playing offensive line. Some of them are retreads. Some of them were taken over from the defensive side because they couldn't play defense and they moved them over the offense because they're not maybe not fast enough or not big enough or something like that. Uh, but they can get by with technique and they can get by with knowing the ability. And, you know, the only advantage they have, they know the snap count. And they know the play. That's the only advantage that they have on, 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 on anybody else. And, but they, they, most of them do not have an ego. Uh, offensive line coaches are a very, very special breed. All the ones I've ever worked, all they want to do is work with the offensive line. They don't care about calling plays. They don't care about formation. They just want – and they want you to run the football because they don't want their offensive line to be showing up with being a bad pass protectors also. So if you ask them all, would you rather run or pass, they all would say, hey, run the football. And let's let's get this game because I want my guys to come off the ball and be more physical. And there's a lot more to it. Offensive linemen and coaches are like a cult. And I mean, they're, they're really close to one another. They don't care about what else goes on. Just give me my offensive linemen and my technique. And, and there's a lot of different different blocking schemes with offensive linemen. Some are zone oriented. Uh, some are, are, are what they call a, a, a gap gap control or what they call pin and pull. Uh, example, watch the Detroit Lions play the other, other night. And they just beat Kansas City with the offensive line. And they did a lot of things that I haven't seen in the NFL as much. They do a lot of pin and pull. In other words, almost every play, they had at least two people pulling. If it wasn't to a, a guard and tackle, what they called a counter trade, or it might have been a guard and a tight end, but they had a lot of pulling. I was really impressed with that because I've not seen I've not seen that kind of scheme in the NFL as, as much. They do a little bit of it, but not as much. But So some of my, my very special people, uh, every coach has been offensive linemen. They be, they're very loyal. They work extremely hard. They get no credit. And uh, and and uh, they're probably the most drilled team uh, on aspect of segment of any team because they have to. They have to be on, on the field before everybody or they stay afterwards to work on technique or pass, uh, a pass blocking or something like that. And remember, they're going to get superior athletes, especially at the NFL level. You saw that. With the Saints of the other day, the left tackle was was, was struggling with, with pass protection. Uh, the old kick step, he wasn't doing his kick step. And when he did, they beat him inside. So he's going to he's gonna learn that with time. But just remember this, uh, Bud Wilkerson for the old Oklahoma coach said it the best. He said, when the offensive line does not block, all backs look alike. So so for my segment today, uh, hats off to the offensive line. line but a, a bad offensive line coach is not going to last very long. And uh, But a good one, they're priceless. Thank you, Coach. And I got to ask a follow-up question. So you mentioned how important that these offensive linemen are. How difficult have you found it 
So I've seen you do this a lot in your time in high school. How difficult is it to convince a defensive lineman to convert to offensive line? Oh, I'm telling you, it, it's very hard. You got to sit down and, I mean, you, it, you get the crying towel out because, you know, somebody <laughs> told him that he, he's going to be the best thing since uh, sliced bread. So, you know, play defense, son, and they all want to play defense. He asked them all. They all came in and playing defense. They want to be a linebacker. They want to be something. But they don't have the feet. They don't have the ability. They, they, they're too small. Uh, they'll get, get they'll get overrun. Uh, but um, it's hard to convince them. And sometimes you have to sit down with mom and dad and say, or, or the kid just might leave the team. Uh, they, 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 they feel their ego. They trip over their ego. Said, so listen, I just tell them there's no glory in sitting in the bench. The most important thing, you want to be a part of the team. And how can you help the team the best? When they come in and they say, Coach, Wherever you need me, that's what you want to hear from an athlete. Wherever you need me, play me. Uh, whatever's best for the team. and Because and, sometimes that might happen the fourth or fifth game of the season uh, because of an injury or something like that. Uh, or maybe you might have to make, make a kid go two ways. And that's the way to approach it, too. Say, so listen, for right now, we'd like to work in two different positions. Now, what we always did in the spring, we did that. We gave a team... A, a player, an offensive position and a defensive position. So just in case you got a catastrophic moment, we can make that change maybe in the third quarter of a big game. And he had at least a little background of the terminology. But the, 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 the whole package to be a good offensive line, that's why I've always believed in the platoon system because I can teach a guy more rather than playing two sides of the ball. Was it the Barracudas and the Piranhas? Was yeah, that the Barracudas. Okay. Yeah. There we go. So, yeah. yeah. The coach, you can't say I didn't learn anything from you, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we, well, we had, we had the fish and we had the snakes. You had the water <laughs> moccasins, too. So, on the other side, in the cobras. So, we had a little bit of everything. It sounded like, sound like the Ottoman Park Zoo. Okay. <laughs> All right. You know, uh, next segment, we have Blitz the Ball, Coach. And uh, we have a great question for Coach today. Coach, what is the importance of having districts with the power rating system in place? Well, the, the, what the districts do, and, and there have been a lot of talk about doing it with districts, um, but the caveat here is that a lot of coaches want a district because they can't find 10 games on their own. Uh, and the more you win and you pick up the phone, it's hard to find 10 high school games, 10 people that want to play you. So by having a district, at least you have a, a base there of maybe five, maybe six games in district, and then you have to go out and find four or maybe three. So that's the advantage. Even though the district, uh, there's no reverie in winning the district anymore, uh, you do get a bid to go to the playoffs. But right now, the way the split is, you get in the playoffs anyway. So that's not a big thing. But the big advantage of being in a district is just exactly that, is that the, the fact that you, you get a schedule made, even though a lot of these districts are extremely, extremely weak, and you look around the state, uh, we, we have maybe one or two good teams in, in a district, and that's about it. The rest of them are, are really, really not very good football team. And this is what happens when you go to schedule. Uh, because the better teams are in the playoffs, and the other teams also ran or not. So they've already scheduled one another. Uh, you know, they schedule one another. But they don't realize by doing that, they have not helped themselves out. It's better to play better competition for the power ranking. And we have a great power ranking system in Louisiana. It's envied by many other states. It's really, really good. I think that's a story for another day on how it works. You get to 10 points for a win, and you get, you get additional points for their wins, and stuff, and stuff, and especially more points if you play up in class. So that's where the power is. So you are rewarded for playing a good schedule. And that's what, that, that's, what that's all about, the power ranking. But it's a big mistake if you don't schedule real, real good games uh, outside of your district. Coach, I think you bring up a great point about how some districts are loaded. We know about the Catholic League, but let me run this one by you. 4-4-A, 
You have Lafayette Christian. You have St. Thomas More. You have Turlings Catholic, and you have Westgate. That's in one district. That's four teams that could all compete for a state title sitting in one district. And that's not even talking about the Catholic League. So I agree with you. I think the way the system is built is built to sustain an equal playing field when it comes to the teams that you play and the schedule that you have built, whether it's by schedule or by design. That, that's that's rare a case there, Jason, that you talked about in that district. The rest of them, you look around, they have a lot, a lot of slappies and uh, that are not very good football teams. All right, and we'll go ahead and go to our last segment. Coach, we have our lock of the week. Coach, this this is unprecedented territory. We're both 2-0, and oh, and, of course, I, I don't have any wood to knock on, so I'll probably blow this game miserably. But who do you have this week in your lock of the week? Okay, the lock of the week, I'm going to go with Florida, and uh, I think the, the, the line is like 7.5 now. And uh, Florida's playing at home. I really think they're a better football team than they showed before. And uh, Tennessee, even though I, I like Joe Milton, he's a heck of a, a talent. Um, so I'm going to go with Florida because I think that, that SEC game is a big matchup there. Good call, Coach. And I'm going to go with Kansas State minus four and a half over Missouri. I'm not truly sold on Missouri. I think Kansas State is one of the premier teams in the Big 12. I think they have a lot going for them under their – uh, their system, and that's just kind of the, the program that Kansas State is. So I'm going to take Kansas State in that matchup, and that'll do it for Episode 3. So uh, let's go ahead and take a look at our social medias before we go ahead and get out of here. Uh, make sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. So at Facebook, it's the Let's Be Frank Video Podcast. On Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, it's DLBF Podcast. You can also listen to us on Google Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, and Spotify. So that'll do it for us. Coach, um, any final thoughts before we get out of here? No, guys, listen, this is just uh, let's remember in your prayers of the victims of 9-11 and, and just make sure that you that you go to the church of your choice. Thank you, Coach. And don't forget there, we do have some social media exclusive segments, so please make sure you follow us on those to tune to those. So that'll do it for, for us, and make sure to join us again next week, Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. So... Okay. Coach Tim Dettelier is our, is our guest speaker next next week. All right, so they'll do it here. So for Coach Monica, for Jason Duey, uh, remember, Leslie Bontour will lay let the good times roll. <laughs>